It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I'm discussing the case of Gina Lynn Burris. On February 6, 2007, in a wooded area of Ashton Court in Sarasota, Florida, a 14-year-old found a bone sticking out of the ground. He showed his mother, who happened to be a nurse, and she immediately recognized it as human. Horrified, she called the police. Investigators quickly discovered that a woman had been buried in a shallow grave, but they weren't able to identify her. For 15 years... She was known as the Sarasota County Jane Doe. That is, until November 2022. That's when investigators partnered with DNA Labs International to identify 39-year-old Gina Lynn Burris using DNA testing and genetic genealogy. Now, at this point, it seems simple. They can match Gina's name to a missing persons report and begin their investigation into what happened to her. But they soon discovered that despite Gina clearly being missing for over 15 years, she was never reported missing by anyone. And in 2023, investigators turned to the media and the public for help in solving Gina's case. This is the case of Gina Lynn Burris. Gina was found on February 6, 2007, 
as I said before, by a 14-year-old who alerted his mother a nurse. She recognized the bone as human and alerted law enforcement. When law enforcement arrived, they found Gina buried in a shallow hole, only about three feet deep. She was lying on one side with one knee stuck up in the air. The full excavation process took 10 hours. Where she was found was described by law enforcement as an overgrown thicket covered by the shade of an oak tree. The woods are 50 yards south of Ashton Road in Sarasota, and this wooded area was directly behind the auto body shop where Gina's husband, James Burris, worked at the time. Sarah Avenue and Ashton Road intersect right before you get to James Burris's former workplace, and it's about an eight-minute drive from the family's former home. Law enforcement believes her killer was familiar with this area of the woods and must have known it would conceal her body for many months. Skip Woods, who served as lieutenant of the Sarasota County Sheriff's Department at the time Gina's body was found, said, quote, This is an area that someone has obviously taken great care to obfuscate the fact that there is a body there. Now, they didn't have a lot of information, but investigators began working with what they had to try to identify Gina. Dr. Russell Vega, the medical examiner who worked on Gina's case, estimated that she had been buried for 7 to 12 months before she was found. Her remains were mostly skeletal, and had suffered a lot of decomposition. They weren't able to get fingerprints or determine her eye color. Her hair was described as a reddish-brown with blonde streaks in it. It was pulled back into a ponytail. Dr. Vega estimated she was 5 foot 5 to 5 foot 9, 145 to 165 pounds, and between the ages of 30 and 40 years old. Dr. Vega also stated that she may have had a broken nose and wrist at some point in her life. Her skull also suffered fractures that appeared to have been made before she was buried, and her dental records showed that she had extensive dental work done. Now, they did get a successful DNA profile right away, but they didn't have anyone to compare it to. Gina's skull was sent to a lab at the University of Florida in Gainesville for analysis. It was concluded that her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head, and her death was ruled a homicide. Eventually, an image was generated of what Gina may have looked like. This was printed on flyers and shown to employees of local businesses but no one recognized her. Now, when Gina was found, she was fully dressed, wearing a multicolored cotton pullover shirt with a tag reading, Made in Italy. She wore a miniskirt from the brand Spicewear that was described as lightly colored with a rear zipper and a drawstring belt. Some sources say the belt was leather and others say suede. She wore socks, but no shoes, which indicated to investigators that she was likely carried to her grave. She also had on blue underwear. All of this clothing was processed by the FBI and tested for trace hair and fibers. Gina also had breast implants, which law enforcement hoped might help identify her, but it seems that they were a popular model from before implants had serial numbers. The way they were implanted was not typical. This seemed like a good lead. They were implanted below the pectoral muscle, but above the mammary gland, a method that most surgeons didn't use. However, these details did not lead to a positive identification either. 
Gina's case haunted investigators, specifically crime scene technician Maxine Miller, who was the first person to arrive on scene when Gina was found. In a 2014 article for the Herald Tribune, Miller said she kept a copy of the sketch on a bulletin board in her office. She said she often looked at it and thought, who are you? But they were out of leads, and Gina's case sat for about another four years. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by June's Journey. If you're looking for your next mobile game to get lost in, I absolutely recommend June's Journey. If you haven't heard of June's Journey, it's a hidden object puzzle game. You play as June Parker, and you're on a quest to solve your sister's murder. You get to gather the clues and decipher them, all while immersing yourself in some pretty cool gameplay. And of course, you can customize your gameplay experience with a lot of in-game features and options. One of my favorite parts is decorating my very own luxurious island estate. I kinda bounce between finding the clues and going back and just having fun decorating. And I love a good challenge. Outside of finding the clues, you can also join a detective club. You can even play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So whether you're just trying to solve the mystery, you wanna do some decorating, or you wanna play with other players, June's Journey really does have it all. Escape into a world of mystery. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman, now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. In 2014, the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office released a new facial composite illustration. This was made by a new cranial facial recognition software created by the West Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. Her remains were further studied at the University of South Florida. By this time, 2014, Gina was the only unidentified body in Sarasota County. So this is a case that weighed heavily on those involved. And unfortunately, with the unidentified, this is just kind of how it goes. On occasion, law enforcement would re-release her composite image and case details to the media in hopes of getting new leads. Her DNA was compared with over 40 missing American women, and none of them were matches. And they continued to run her DNA periodically. Then, in November 2022, they got a match and the first ever break in the case. Thanks to new technology through DNA Labs International, they were able to match her DNA to Gina's aunt and uncle, who had submitted their profiles to trace their family tree. Law enforcement reached out to the couple, who quickly identified their estranged niece, Gina Burris. They said that they'd fallen out of touch with Gina. They did try to follow up when they hadn't heard from her, but never got a response. While Gina had now finally been identified, investigators were obviously missing some key pieces to solve this puzzle of what happened to her. And on August 2nd, 2023, they turned to the media and public for help. When the sheriff's office announced Gina's identity, the public responded with the question I'm sure you're all wondering. How did no one report her missing for over 15 years? Now, in a press conference, law enforcement said that Gina struggled with depression and didn't reach out to her family very often. 
so they assumed that she'd become estranged, but didn't know that she was missing or deceased. They also said that Gina and her husband James were struggling at the time, and had a, quote, volatile relationship. Gina's uncle, Claire George Weedmare, told WJZ News in Maryland, quote, In 2006, we didn't hear, so I waited a little bit to see if her stepfather heard. He didn't. Or if her brother heard. He didn't. So I proceeded to call the husband, and it went on and on. The following year, or the year before, I attempted to call Jamie again, and there was no answer. The phone was turned off, and then I had no way of tracking him. Immediately, detectives had their eyes on one man, James Burris, who also went by Jamie, and they quickly discovered he had never reported Gina missing. Now, we don't know a lot about Gina and James's life before Gina was found, but here's what we do know. And this comes directly from investigators, who are trying their hardest to share this information. It appears that Gina began a relationship with James in the late 90s or early 2000s. Together, they had one son, James Burris Jr. Both Gina and James's families are from Maryland. While Gina and James were together, they lived in Citrus County, Florida, and Frederick, Maryland, before moving to Pauline Avenue in Sarasota, Florida, around 2005. The home is a part of Gulf Gate Estates, a census-delegated region of Florida. It's believed that the Burris family lived at the Pauline Avenue home from 2005 to 2006. Gina was likely 39 at the time of her death. She was unemployed. James Burris Sr. worked in an auto body shop on Sarah Avenue in Sarasota. That business is now Callaway European Automotive, but it was under a different name when James worked there. James is said to have left Sarasota with his son around the time Gina's body was found. He initially moved to California, then moved back to Maryland near his family in Fredrickson. Now, back to present day. Investigators did eventually find him in Maryland, where he still lives with his son, who is now around 20 years old. And this next part is heartbreaking. Gina's son said that he was told his mother abandoned him and his father at a young age. Which I can't even imagine how hard all of this has to be for him. And of course, as this case develops, new information is being discovered like how James apparently tried to file for divorce from Gina in 2015. The documents were sent to an address in Citrus County, where the couple lived from 2002 to 2004, but they were undeliverable. James Burris Sr. is currently the sole person of interest in this case. Sarasota County Sheriff Kurt Hoffman traveled to Maryland to interview James, and told News Nation, quote, Frankly, the answers that we got were just not consistent from what you would see from a spouse who has a loved one go missing. So we're still working a lot of leads in this case, but he is the main focus of this investigation, and he is certainly aware of that. He sat down with our detectives, and I think it's safe to say that he knows we're not satisfied with the answers we got from him. James Burris Jr. was also interviewed but Hoffman said that since he was so young when he last saw his mom, the information they got from him was just not very useful. 
The current lieutenant and Gina's uncle both stated that her family in Maryland was shocked to realize that James had been living so close to them nearly the whole time they hadn't heard from Gina. Now, police have searched the Burris' old home on Pauline Avenue, as well as the auto body shop where James worked. They tested for blood and other evidence, but so far, they haven't found anything. And the results from the testing of Gina's clothes either haven't come back or haven't been made public. As I mentioned, the police have turned to the media and the public for help in generating more leads for Gina's case. It really feels like they're just a few puzzle pieces away from solving this. Gina's son and the rest of her family deserve answers. Gina's uncle told the media, quote, She was a good mom. She did anything and everything to please her husband. And this whole thing is more than shocking. We couldn't believe it when we were at the table with the police. We just couldn't believe it. It's got to be solved. It's got to be some type of justice. Which brings me right to our call to action. While Gina was found over 15 years ago, they just discovered her identity. And like I've said so many times, investigators are now turning to the media and the public for help. So let's do what we do best. Please share Gina's name, photo, and story in hopes that someone will come forward with information. As a reminder, we don't know exactly when Gina Burris went missing, but her remains were found in February 2007 in a wooded area in Sarasota, Florida. If you or anyone you know knew Gina Burris or James Burris, or lived in or around this area between 2005 and 2007, and have relevant information, please reach out to the Sarasota County Sheriff's Department at 941-861-4900. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney, and is a Voices for Justice media original. This episode contains writing and research assistance by Brooke Haynes. If you love what we do here, please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the show in your podcast player. It's an easy and free way to help us and help more people find these cases in need of justice. Welcome to the Secret After Show. The air conditioning is back on, the dogs are in, Marley is licking his paw if you can hear it, um, and 
With this episode, I really just first and foremost want to send some love to Gina's son, James. I mean, being told that your mom left you and to now be presented with all of this new information is something I would never wish upon my worst enemy. Um, and I can't say that I've been through that exact situation but I do believe I've been through something similar, and I can tell you it is not easy. It is not easy to make an entire shift about what you thought your life was to make room for this new information. So, and I don't know. I don't know what James believes. I don't think that he's really said much to the media. I was looking today as re- as of recording this episode, and there were new, no new updates. So again, I just want to send love to James, um, and I hope if he begins to speak out, if he chooses to say anything or do anything, um, that you guys will make sure that he is met with love and not horrible, horrible things that the internet can do to people like him. Now, the reason I chose this case uh, was for a few different reasons. One, it's very timely. Obviously, like I said a thousand times in this uh, shorter episode, investigators need our help. They are turning to the public and the media for help in uh, sharing this case. And it, it really does seem like when it first came out in the beginning of August, it was kind of everywhere. It was this big, huge thing. And then it just slowly died down like these stories do. And you guys know how I have a very very soft spot in my heart for stories like that, just because it's not, um, just because there's not more information to be used for an update does not mean it's not important. Like I said, I know that this episode was on the shorter side, but, um, I think it's really important. And one, they're asking for help. So hi, here I am. Hopefully this episode helps at least a little, please share And two, it's one of those cases that I think has this element of hope. And you guys know how much I like highlighting the hope. We have a whole segment here, which I will get to. I did not forget about it. Um, But it's just really cool to see, you know, her being identified after so many years is really, really neat. Of course, we hope the whole thing didn't happen. I think that goes without saying at this point. But there is hope for the unidentified to be identified And it really just goes along with so much that I'm doing outside of this show. Um, As you guys know, I am on the board of a nonprofit called Season of Justice. I helped build out their entire family grants program. But in addition to helping families, what we also do is help uh, fund law enforcement for things just like this. Um, Specifically, we do work with DNA Labs International. Um, So it's just really cool to see. Um, Of course, you know, Season of Justice didn't have a direct tie to this case, Um, But it's in the realm of what I do every single day, and it's just really interesting and neat to keep up with, like I said. Also, um, it goes along with an episode that will be coming up soon. I am getting together with my friend Laura Norton from the Fall Line podcast and One Strange Thing to talk about her new book, Lay Them to Rest, in an upcoming episode. Now, if you guys haven't heard, the book is available for pre-order, so it's not quite out yet, but um, she basically details helping solve a case, helping, you know, identify someone who is unidentified. So I feel like I've very much been living in this world for a while, and you know, as Laura knows, um, 
it's really hard to cover these cases of an unidentified person because obviously there's just not as much material. Um, and she does a fantastic job of doing that. She is one of the best in the business if you want to go check her out. Now, let's get to what you guys are probably, I don't know, that feels really uh, conceited to say, but I imagine maybe a few of you out there are wondering why this after show hasn't been happening. And let me tell you that they actually have. Um, I've been recording them and deleting them because I feel like I haven't been able to form coherent thoughts without a script for a while since the trial. I would go on these really long rants about like thanking people and it's not like it was horrible. I'm sure you guys would give me great feedback. I just didn't feel like I was in my right headspace to just go off the cuff and be really, really real with you guys like I am in this after show. It's a very, it, honestly, it's kind of scary and vulnerable. I think out of anywhere on the internet, maybe besides some silly TikToks, um, you know, this is where I'm the most real with you guys. And not to say that I'm not real in the episodes, but obviously it's scripted. There's not very many productions where I just speak off the cuff like this. As you guys know, this segment is not scripted. Sometimes I do have talking points to keep myself on track because I will go everywhere. So they have been happening, but I've been deleting them. Um, I just needed some time. I just needed some time. Um, but I did want to give you guys a little insight into how I feel and what's been happening. Now, I actually just did uh, my first interview since the trial. Um, and again, I feel so conceited when I say this, but you know, I've been um, solicited, for lack of a better word, I've been uh, reached out to by you know, a lot of companies who want to do, you know, a one hour, two hour special or whatever on Alyssa, right? Your datelines, your 2020, your 48 hours, all of them. And I kept asking myself the question of what does this do for Alyssa? Um, and I couldn't quite answer that question. And I think now, and I did allude to this a long time ago on Twitter. I think I made a very sassy tweet about how I wouldn't be doing interviews for people who didn't seem to care about Alyssa before there was a conclusion in this case. Um, and I find myself just asking those same questions. How does this benefit my mental health? How does this benefit Alyssa's case? How does this benefit anyone but the productions doing it? And to be honest, I'm in a very different place now. You know, when I first started this journey, I interviewed with anyone and everyone. I think there was only one person that I said no to. And it was so, I forget what it was. It was something like they just really sketched me out. And I was like, I don't like this. This feels weird. And, I, you know, long story short, I did every interview I could. That included going to an apartment of a YouTube channel that literally, I think, had less than 10 subscribers. And I was happy to do it. Now I'm in a different place. And the idea of sitting down for an interview with a large production where I have zero say in how they're going to mold Alyssa's story, how they're going to tell it, how they're going to tell my story, I didn't see a benefit. I mean, of course, it would draw attention back to the show. But with that being said, I have some other projects in place where 
I get to finally tell my story. Um, I get to tell Alyssa's story in a very complete way that is not censored under the chance of this going to court. Um, if you guys have followed me for a long time, this shouldn't be new, new news to you. I've said this forever. You know, season one of Voices for Justice talking about Alyssa's case is very much a retelling of her case file. Of course, I do have slight opinions put in there. And I do have some interviews, obviously. Um, but I very much designed that to hold up in court, and it did. Um, they weren't able to take it down. They weren't able to use it against me very much. Oh, there's still so much you guys don't know, and it's hard to give all the context here. Um, but long story short, I am going in a different direction. I I'm ready to tell Alyssa's story. I am working on telling Alyssa's story in a few different formats. I am also working um, with some other families to help tell their stories. So I'm super excited. I can't say any more. I shouldn't say any more. I probably already said too much, but stay tuned. Um, also, if you guys haven't noticed, I've been mostly on Instagram. I'm really trying to figure out how to make this a better video format because I am the worst at filming videos whenever I do anything, so I am working on that. But um, if you guys have noticed, if you follow me on Instagram at Sarah E. Turney, I feel like I have to plug it. Gosh, that felt so weird. But um, I have this kind of new series I'm developing, and it's about me trying to fall back in love with life. That's currently where I'm at. You know, I think it might be a little surprising, and I just talked about this in my latest interview, which felt so weird. I haven't interviewed in so long about Alyssa's case, but um, I am at so much peace now. Um, I have so much peace now. I... <sighs> of course, wanted this trial to go another way. But there was a point in which it became very obvious that we were not going to get the outcome that I desired, the outcome that I think most of us believe Alyssa deserved. And I did make peace with that very early on, and I think that's because I really did everything I could for her. And seeing this, I'm like still so conflicted, but I swear, I swear I do have peace. It's, it's just, it's hard to give that up and to admit that, um, on this podcast that I did all I could. And of course there are a few things that I will still be pursuing in the background, um, that I'll give you more information on later, but this is the first time in my life, um, at least in 22 years, as you guys know, when I was 12, I was 12 when Alyssa went missing and I created her first flyer. I created a whole website called Arizona Runaways that um, featured, of course, Alyssa's case, but other kids who I should have never fucking called it Arizona Runaways. It should have been missing or something like that. But of course, I was a child, did not know better. What I'm trying to say is since I was 12, Alyssa's case has been a huge part of my life, even when I try to run away from it. You know, seeing her flyer, um, going to events like the National Center for Missing Exploited Children when they had her uh, her picture featured on a racing car hood. Uh, I'm so bad at sports, but a race car hood. Um, 
all the way up until I was about 17 when my dad asked me to be the point person on her case. And of course, I took over everything, um, you know, and then, you know, by my mid-20s, I was told uh, we did everything we could get media attention, which put me on this track. So um, you guys know that journey. But like I said, since I was 12 years old, Alyssa has been a huge part of my life, uh, her case, I should say. And obviously, during that time also, my father was arrested for the pipe bombs, which we weren't allowed to talk about in court. Um, and I defended him. I defended him as hard as I defend Alyssa. Um, of course, we know I just didn't know any better. Um, and I was scared. If we're being really, really honest, I was terrified to lose the only parent I had left in this world, the only person in this world that took care of me. And I, you know, I know I was abused and neglected and drugged and it was horrible, but the only person in this world who provided a roof over my head that provided food in my stomach that would pick me up at 3 a.m. if my car broke down, um, for all the bad, there was some good in there and I didn't know any better in terms of abuse. So, when my dad went to prison, I was terrified and I did absolutely everything I could help, I could do to help him before I realized uh, the truth of who he was. So, all of that to say, a very long rant. Hello, welcome to the Secret After Show. This is what I do here. Um, my whole life, mostly, has been living for other people, primarily my family, and I don't regret that. I don't. Even at the time, I thought helping my dad was the right thing to do, and I don't ever regret doing what I thought was right. Um, I don't regret working for Alyssa. I don't regret giving up my life for her at all, because she would have done the same, if not more. But now, I'm in this new stage in my life where I don't quite know what to do with myself sometimes. Um, where, oh, okay, don't cry, where I can watch a movie without feeling guilt um, that I wasn't working for Alyssa. And I, I have talked about this a little bit, but I don't think I realized how heavy that burden really was on me until it was gone. Until that weight was lifted from my shoulders and I felt this immense sense of peace of this is a situation that didn't always go my way. It didn't end the way I hoped it would end. But truly, there was nothing else I could do. There was no amount of waiting that would have produced new evidence. My father will never confess. I truly did what I could. And now I have to learn how to fall back in love with life. I have to learn who I am again outside of this extreme passion for advocacy and for justice, obviously. That is something that is uh, so ingrained in me that will never go away now. Um, but I have to learn all those little things, you know, for a long time. Everything I did felt like, and it, I mean, it really was a reflection of Alyssa's case. If I wore something that was scandalous, would that come back to Alyssa? If I dyed my hair a fun color, would that make people not want to listen to, not want to listen to Alyssa's story? If I had a controversial opinion about something, would that keep people away from Alyssa's story? 
you know, and of course, I've had my fair share of, uh, you know, slightly controversial opinions when it comes to true crime. You know, when I started talking about ethics and true crime, it was like, what do you mean? Family members should just be grateful for all and every and all coverage of their case, no matter how terrible it was. That's a story for a different time, but you guys know what I mean. Um, I felt like I was living this semi-edited version of myself, uh, at least in the public sphere, for Alyssa. And again, I don't regret that. I think at the time, what I was doing was a very successful model. Being easy to work with, being agreeable, made so many people want to cover Alyssa's story. I, I made it as easy as possible for these creators to work with me. And now I'm in a different space. And that's not to say that I'm not the person that you saw on those podcasts, because that is me. It's just not me with me wearing whatever I want or me uh, possibly bringing out, you know, some some of my uh, upbringing from running the streets until I was 17. You know, I really did try to put the best version of myself forward. And now, obviously, for this case, you know, for my public persona and everything, like I still am always striving to be the best that I can be. But now I feel like there's freedom to show you more of my mistakes and just wear what I want and speak the way I more naturally speak, which has a lot of curse words. Uh, some of you might have picked up here in the after show, but uh, again, I don't know, <laughs> in between this stage of who I had to be for Alyssa, which again was still me. I'm not trying to say that none of that was real because it was, um, but I'm slowly finding myself again. And I really hope that made sense. I definitely went on a huge tangent there, but um, I think if you guys are here and you follow me for a long time, you probably get it. Now, before we get to the segment of hope that I want to leave you on, I'm flirting with a new segment here. <laughs> I don't know how long this after show is, is going to spin off into a real show, uh, maybe eventually, but... Um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about what I'm reading, what I'm watching. Um, I can't guarantee that I will have uh, one of these for every single week um, because there are some weeks where I just need to escape true crime. I'm not going to lie. But let me tell you about what I have watched. And this really, I don't, I'm so interested in hearing your guys' opinion because I felt so conflicted and so off base with what a lot of the world was talking about during this incident. So I'm talking about on Netflix, uh, they released Heard versus Depp, which is, of course, talking about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and that whole trial that unraveled. Now, I thought the documentary was really well done um, because I think my disconnect from the rest of the world while this was going on was trying to stay objective. I think Amber Heard was absolutely slayed in the media. And I don't know. I don't know. See, and I'm still in this uh, in this uh, mindset of like, oh gosh, I'm getting too controversial. But the thing is, like, is it believe all victims or is it believe all victims but Amber Heard? And let's just be real. Now, where I stand on this is that I think they both did really terrible things to each other. Um, and I don't think a lot of people like that middle opinion, but I think, and again, there's so much in that case. I'm not saying that, uh, 
either of them were perfect. Uh, I, I'm basically just trying to say they both were terrible to each other. And I think it's really unfortunate how this played out because I do think it kind of set people back. It set victims back. Um, because the whole game was trying to see who was lying, right? And I think it's possible that both of them were telling a version of the truth. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You might hate me now for saying that. I don't know. Let me know what you think, because I don't know. It was just an interesting documentary. And I think outside of the case itself and outside of, you know, the events that transpired between these celebrities, um, analyzing the way the media picked it up and specifically the way that influencers and independent content creators picked it up was so telling. I mean, the amount of money people made talking about that case is a phenomenon all in itself. Um, but I thought it was really well done. You guys let me know what you think in the comments on social media. I know that um, Spotify has an option where you can tell me what you think of this episode. You can tell me I suck. You can tell me I'm wrong. I don't care. Do what you gotta do. Now, I will say in this segment of what I'm watching, what I'm reading, I want to let you know that I did finish Lay Them to Rest by Laura Norton. And again, I mentioned it earlier, but I just wanted to plug it again. Laura is doing the real work in this industry. And I'm not saying advocacy isn't real work, but she is going out there. She is talking to experts. She is talking to law enforcement. She is digging through boxes of bones trying to solve these cases. So if you're looking for something that um, has a heavy science element to it, talking about how these cases get solved, how the unidentified becomes identified, definitely check out Lay Them to Rest by Laura Norton. And now, last but not least, and now, you guys, I am on one today. Um, it's because I'm back. It's because I'm back, baby, in the after show. And I'm ready to talk about our segment of hope. Um, and you guys know how this goes. I take this from a news article and I just kind of read it. Um, because I don't like to, I don't like to go so scripted here. I don't want to read this and script something out. We're just going to talk about what happened. So I am talking about, this is from the Detroit Free Press. This was published on August 21st, 2023 by Frank Witzel. I hope I said that correctly. And this is Newborn Livonia, Livonia? You guys, I think that's how you say it. Newborn Livonia twins found safe after Amber Alert MSP reports. It reads, two-week-old twin boys who were taken early Monday by a Livonia, Livonia hotel by two women who drove off in a black Jeep Grand Cherokee have been located and are safe as investigators investigate what happened, police said. And there's a quote, the children have been recovered safely and the Livonia police will be issuing more information shortly. So there was an Amber Alert for these two boys and they were found. I think we can keep it short but sweet. Um, Amber Amber alerts work, and this is great proof. It's just, it's always nice to see when the system works as designed. And again, of course, we wish all these terrible things never happened, that they were never taken, but they were found. All right, here's how you say it. Livonia. Livonia. Okay, I said it right. All right. Don't come for me. I know I should have looked it up before. I didn't expect it to be that tricky. I swear I said it in my head and decided it was fine, and my paranoia got the best of me, but I did say it right. So, 
As always, thank you for tolerating me here in this secret after show moment. I love you, and I'll talk to you next time.